Chester Grisky has built over 40 years a collection of Canadian private press and fine printing. In recent years, using that collection as a resource, he has written and spoken about this subject area and curated exhibitions of the work of Robert R. Reed and Glenn Galuska, two of Canada's most distinguished designers and fine printers. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Mm, welcome, Patrick. To your house. Yes. <laughs> With the view of the lake. Yes, so yeah. it's actually Hay Bay, but yes. Let's talk about your early relationship with books. What happened? What happened? Okay. My parents sort of read newspapers, but not a lot of books. But I had an early, early sort of connection with the Hamilton Public Library and would, where I grew up and would certainly spend the summers taking out as many books as I can. Uh -huh. uh, it was interesting because they, um, in those years, there were bookmobiles going around, and the bookmobile stopped at our school, um, served a larger area than our school, but I, that's where I first started taking out books and then walked to the, what was then, I presume still called it, the Kenilworth branch of the uh, Hamilton Public Library. So that, that was sort of, an early interest in, in reading. Yeah. I went to university, to University of Toronto. Toronto, as you may or may not know, is built on a college system. So one joins a college. Yeah. And I went to do political science and economics. My college was St. Michael's College from 1965 to 69. And St. Mike's was the home of Marshall McLuhan, right. who was... Talking about, that's the years just after the publishing of the Gutenberg Galaxy, but he was the star across the firmament. And internationally, so, yes. Internationally. And so he, in that sense, he intrigued me a little bit about, about books and printing, yeah. a little bit more, uh, and more about the history of how printing sort of affected the world. Did you uh, sit in any of his classes or no, lectures? Uh, or? No, I didn't. Although he uh, came and spoke in one of the courses on economic history that I was taking. I then, a couple of years after graduation, I actually married in to, <laughs> uh, to this. Camilla's, you didn't marry into McLuhan? No, no not, McLuhan. not McLuhan. Not McLuhan. Not McLuhan. No, no, no. I married Camilla. What was her maiden name? Uh, Milton. She studied English at St. Mike's and took uh, McLuhan's modern poetry course. And McLuhan always sort of was tickled that a person by the name of Milton yeah. was studying modern poetry. And so that was 46 years ago that we got married. Her father, Dennis Milton, taught printing and design at Ryerson. So I really married into it. Dennis had actually apprenticed in England in the printing trade prior to the Second World War. And then after the war, <clears throat> sort of got interested in teaching printing and did that. And about 1957, family reasons, decided to come to Canada mm. and sort of got in contact ultimately with Ryerson, who said, can you come yesterday? Because, <laughs> of course, then it was a, it was a college. Yes. So you, they, would, they would train students how, uh, 
trades, basically. Yeah, well, not really. He was in graphic arts management, so their students would have been managers. Dennis was teaching them printing and design so that these people knew, understood what their employees were doing. They weren't going to be necessarily doing it themselves, but he was involved. He was involved, then became involved with Quadrats. What's that? Quadrats was a group of printing people who met and used the presses in the bibliography room at Massey College. So people like Carl Dare, Roy Gurney, Harold Kroshenska, Michael Lane uh, were all members of Quadrats. And ultimately, I became a member of Quadrats along with Glenn Galiska. Um, While you were a student? or after? No, after, after, uh, okay. oh, yes, in the late 70s, after I had married. So Dennis was teaching design and sort of basically... Through him, I started learning how to look at books. What's the number one thing he taught you? Basically, to to really sort of take time and 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 look at what's done and how it's done and how well it's done. But it was that. What, what, what does that mean, though? It it means certainly not quickly flipping through a book, okay. but but sort of. Moving slowly. Well, what are you looking for, though? Well, you're looking at how the whole thing comes together, okay. and whether it it works or not, or whether it jars you. So yeah, I, I, I'm probably not the the right teacher to, to explain. No, but but, no, but you've got a you've got a, one of the most accomplished or experienced eyes in this field. You you've looked at thousands of finely printed books that have been made in Canada, right? Yeah. I don't think there's thousands, but anyways, but a, but a large well, number of them. Your yeah. collection's got 1,100 in it, so. No, well, it's actually... But those aren't uh, books, though. No, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, actually, it's, it's more than that now, and it covers the range of books, pamphlets, yeah. prospectuses. But uh, that's what I want to get at. Yeah. Is, it's, what do you look for? It's it's interesting about an inability to articulate it in a general sense as opposed to oh as we look at it, particular books about what's what's working or what's not working. You can't put words to it. I don't think I can. I, it, it, and I certainly maybe you've caught me off guard with asking me that question. And if I sat and thought about it, I might be able to articulate it more closely. But. Well, what, maybe what it is, it's a, fee, a gut feeling that this is That's pro- probably Well, I think, I think it's more than a gut feeling, although probably when it's working, one feels it in one's gut. Okay. Okay, um, so, okay, so you, he taught you how to look at, at yeah. books. And, and, so that, and that was, I mean, Dennis died two years ago. At at 101. I was going to say, he must have been a pretty good age. So, yeah. So, we, in fact, sort of spent a long time, at various times, looking at sort of latest, one's latest acquisitions. uh, Because he, too, sort of somewhat bought books, but um, more so in the earlier years than in his later years. So, that was part of it. Because what we do is we move from admiring books to acquiring books. 
And so what what happened to make you want to acquire them? Well, I guess just an interest in them. I, my first acquisitions were things... I remember about ni- Christmas 1973, we were in England because Dennis was on sabbatical at Reading University. Yeah. Um, and so we were going through bookstores and looking for... I mean, I was looking for Eric Gill work, which we talked about, uh, Golden Cockrell Press work, the English private press tradition. And that's actually where I started looking to acquire books or uh, those kinds of books from those kinds of printers, not knowing what was actually happening in Canada at that point in time. About 1975, uh, Glenn Galiska, who I knew at St. Mike's, who had gone, after graduation, had gone back to Chicago, mm-hmm. returned to Toronto, and we connected up again. Um, he and his wife and uh, Camilla and I would frequently spend Sundays together poking around the old Harborfront Antique Market when it was out on the grounds. This is before it even got a building. I don't even know whether it exists anymore. So I got reconnected with Glenn back into printing, and I met uh, Will Reuter about that time. Was this through? What, how was that? How did you meet him? I, I don't actually have a clear sort of recollection of my first meeting with Will Reuter. So in 1978, Bill Poole, started the Grimsby Ways Goose. He was the driving force and a most important sort of uh, force in having, you know, and sort of developing Canadian private presses because it brought people together. It brought the printers together who then exchanged ideas and it brought the public together. And I started going from the first one I would go to the Grimsby Ways Goose and come home with a pile of books. And I remember buying my first copy of uh, a Will Reuter Aliquando Press from Will at... Oh, uh, he had a, he had a, a booth. A, a table. Yeah, everybody had table. tables yeah. around there. Glenn had a table. Jerry Brender of Brandis had a table. Margaret Locke hadn't come back to Canada as yet, so she wasn't there. And you know what? You can find all of these in those uh, bound books that they put together. Yes, right? yes. The Ways Goose Anthology. I have a, a complete set of the Ways Goose Anthology. Mm-hmm. I, I find them um, individual bo- volumes are sort of up and down. Yeah. There's some great pieces. There's some Aliquando pieces that are only in the Grimsby Ways Goose. They're not, there weren't extra copies for distribution. So it started basically, I would go to the Grimsby Ways Goose and come home with sort of a pile of books of things that sort of interested me or whatever caught my eye. Just to stop there and just ponder why. Why do you collect? Well, I think I collected probably initially for a a, a superficial, I like the look of it. I like the feel of it. 
Uh, and you wanted to have what it close to you, so you yeah. could reference it whenever you wanted to. Yes, pull it off the shelves. Uh, I think there are kinds of people who are fundamentally collectors. Yeah, and and, and those who aren't. I I would say my children, maybe in rebellion to us, are not collecting. But my wife and I have collected a variety of things through the years. So we've we've bought art, nothing yeah. serious, nothing serious in collections, collecting books. Now, I have or showed you a few minutes ago uh, bookmarks, which intrigued me and sort of going through antique shows and oh, getting caught up with, oh, these are interesting, and just suddenly buying a few here, and after a while you look back and you say, oh, this is more than an accumulation. This has suddenly become a collection. That's, uh, because I primarily was interested in bookmarks that, had a, uh, that were paper and had a Canadian connection. A theme. A, a theme behind it. And I think that's what moves between accumulating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but probably everybody starts accumulating yeah. and either drops by the wayside or does other things with it or focuses on one of one's many collections. Yeah. One of the obvious reasons to collect might be to just sort of impose some kind of order on the chaos so that you can understand things a bit better. Well, I think that that develops over time. I don't think, I mean, I don't think I certainly, I have a very different understanding about what I'm doing today than I did at the beginning. And I think that's probably true with most people. You What's the difference? Well, first of all, I'm now looking at my collection as a research resource at this stage in my life, primarily for myself. It's, it's what I will go to. So when I did the uh, Robert Reed exhibition at Massey, I started with my collection as to what's the possibilities of doing it. And that's actually what went into that collection. The same thing with the Glenn Galiska exhibition. I started with, what do I have? How, what does that tell me about the working life? Oh, what gaps are there? Do I want to try to fill in those gaps? You know, if uh, I've got some writing projects on the go about uh, some private presses, and so, you know, there aren't bibliographies at times of them. And so my collection becomes the start of the bibliography. It's, you know, I can now start looking at it to sort of formulate some life of this press. So it becomes, you know, the basis upon which I will write an article on it. Something it's, that it, scholars can build upon, too. Was, others can build upon it, too. Oh, yes. I mean, I, the, the first writings really need to be the, the nuts and bolts history and then somebody can come along and start moving beyond that and looking at the themes and, and the broader questions about what this person does. But the first thing somebody needs to do is just get the nuts and bolts yeah, like down. what's there? What's there? What, uh, when did they start? When did they finish? What did they, what did they print? There's um, early bibliographies 
of Canadian private press things. There are the two David Coton catalogs from the North York Public Library exhibitions. There's the fine printing one uh, that Cabbage did, the Canadian Association of uh, Book Artists Guild. I don't think I've got the name yeah. correct, but anyways, Cabbage is the acronym that yeah. everybody knows it by. But it, it was a circulating fine printing collection. The University of Calgary in the early 1980s did two catalogs, but they're 1980s. Well, that's the thing about Canadian, is that there really isn't that much material on it. It's, it's like you're a pioneer. Well, you have things like uh, Hoy Barbaroi, the, uh, Al- uh, the barbarian. Uh, barbarian Press volume of catalog of their work where that yeah Bert Crispin and are, are talking about it which is I mean it's important that you know the the participants put down on paper what they were thinking and why and you know uh, we've got from Will Reuter a, a catalog of his work uh, the Locks Press there's a catalog of theirs um, did they they did their own catalog yes What's that one called? It's it's a very small little thing. I have a copy. I would you like to be to? No, well, no, we don't have to do it. Okay, right now, okay, but. yeah, so show it. And certainly, Robert Reed has written extensively. There's only like about fifteen or sixteen of those, right? Uh, yes, I'm fortunate to have copies of everything except the New York volume. <laughs> Two of those volumes came through Bob Reed. Oh, so yeah. they, his, it's like four big, four oh, or five big volumes. Over, over there on the wall. Oh, yes, there we are. That's yeah. New Haven. But when I came to dealing with Glenn Galiska, and I'm, I'm still working on it, Glenn didn't help us understand why he was thinking. He did it, but he never sat down and wrote right. <laughs> about... Yeah. Why he was doing what he does. You, you, you look at the material, you look at the early Russian things and the Russian types, you see things like he's published the Lizitsky's, uh, the topography of topography and Lizitsky's typographical facts. And, and you look at his work and you see that, you know, Glenn's work has a, a very modernist bent to it. You, that you you look at you look at his use of the diagonals in his design in his printing, and, and you you have to sort of draw out of his work without without the benefit of him writing about yeah. what he does and why he does it. I mean, there is some early writings by Glenn in The Devil's Artisan. But it's things about, you know, the linotype in the kitchen (laughs) Uh, and and sort of collecting the elusive wood type, but not his design sensibilities and and, and why he does it. So So that's, I mean, again, just uh, getting back to why you collect then, you've, you've gotten pretty well all of his material you want to add to the general knowledge about this person because his work is important and mm-hmm. he should be recognized. And this is 
something that as a as a collector you're you're now able to do yes it's beyond the acquisition it's now paying almost paying tribute to him right well i certainly giving him the due yeah that he deserved i mean he certainly was recognized without my work i mean he was uh an early recipient of the robert r reed award yeah. Uh, for his contributions to the book arts in Canada. But, but again, that's an award. It's not a thesis on... No, 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 but it's a recognition. Yes, it's a recognition sure. that this man and his work is yeah. important. And yes, you're but, fleshing that out. Yes, I'm certainly working on doing that. My ultimate thing, I mean, having done the two exhibitions my long-term, or not a long-term goal, but certainly is is to do as much of a complete bibliography of his work, both his private press work and the work that he did at the Canadian Centre for Architecture, yeah. both the posters... Some and, lovely books too, and, right? Some catalogs. And, and the catalogs. And then also he went on and did work for McGill Queens, UBC... Art gallery. So all of that, it's sort of to at least bring it together so somebody can say, okay, here's here's the starting point uh, of what he did. Now, and then sort of adding what I know about sort of how things came to be um, and where they fit in. So what does that do for you? What does it do for me? I guess it keeps me alive. It's intellectually fascinating. You've got a, a friendship, an emotional bond. Oh, yes. Uh, but more than that, it, what does it do for you? Oh, I, I guess, as I said, it keeps, it, it keeps me alive. It's an intellectual interest. It gets me, you know, I'm in my 70s. I'm about to shovel sort of, as, well, not shovel off the mortal coil, uh, but certainly I'm... This has not been my working life. No. I've spent my working life as a lawyer. And as that winds down, this is something that's, you know... It fill uh, the void. Well, fill the void. And it's certainly... I've worked and done these things at the same time. Now, the amount of time I have available in a day uh, between what I have to do for one thing and what I have to do to the other, those proportions are able to shift. You know, yeah. so but it's but it is that intellectual stimulus on tr- trying to bring together this information and putting it, some of which I know because I've had conversations with people over the years and it's otherwise floating around and, yeah. and sort of asking questions from people who I know who you know, I haven't written down about them, but I can still sort of say, well, can you tell me what you did and why? I mean, that's, you know, that's important to do it. And I seem to be in a position to be able to do, okay. to be able to do that. So uh, you started off with Eric Gill and uh, Golden Cockrell. So what happened then? Well, as I said, I had was looking around, so I have a fair number of Thoreau McDonald works. At one stage, I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a collection of Thoreau McDonald. He was so influential in, in Canadian, Canadian book, book design, design yeah. trade books uh, yeah. from what? From the 
1920s to 1950s? Well, he was born in 1901. His, yeah, I think the first books for Ryerson Press, he worked with his father in the 20s. He did the chapbooks too, right? Well, yes, yeah, but he did the Woodchuck Press was, was his own press, which is interesting because they are very straightforward and... When you sort of think about the high quality of materials that one expects in private press, one doesn't see it in in Thorough McDonald's works, and one wonders why. It's kind of rustic, isn't it? Yeah, it's. He, I mean, he was a very, very shy person. I understand. I I think I may have met him briefly once. Mm. I Uh, heard that he was colorblind too. Yes, I think that's one of the reasons that I I've heard that too. But interesting and. My wife and I are members of the Arts and Letters Club. His father uh, was very active in the Arts and Letters Club, did all kinds of design work on club material. Thorough MacDonald was never a member of the club. He could have been. All, you know, the group of seven individuals were members of the club. It's not as if he didn't know anybody. Well, his father was one of those members. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He could have, I mean, and even after his father died in the 30s, he never became, uh, Lauren Pierce, his publisher, was a club member. And and interested in design. Yeah, all of these connections, but he never did. And that that shyness may come into why these books look like they they look like. Kind of understated, you mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the other things to remember, pri- when private press books have high production standards, there's a financial sort of investment. So it's not simply the design idea, but if you're buying handmade paper, you know, and if you're either binding, getting binding material or sending things out, that's a lot of money. Maybe Thorough McDonald didn't have that kind of money. Um, it's certainly something that I'm concerned about today. I think when I look at a lot of the people coming on, they're small, thin pieces without high product. A lot of cases, a lot high production values for some of them. And I'm wondering to what extent it's it's that financial burden is taking them on because you you know you invest. You know, by the time you've, I mean, aside from your hours of time, but by the time you've sort of done your design. The hourly rate they get is is ridiculous. And I, I, you know, and people like Will Reuter, I think, I think Will Reuter probably, I mean, his books are horrendously inexpensive. If there's any, anybody who underprices his work, I think it's Will Reuter. There's a buying signal. Yeah. Certainly... People like Barbarian, people like Roland Milroy. Heavenly Monkey. Yeah. Heavenly Monkey. Uh, you know, and others, Jason Duinitz uh, of Green Boathouse Press. They're high-quality material, and the prices are are matching that. But there's this upfront cost. Yeah, it's the, still the, good the, value for money. Yeah. yeah. but and, and, of course, there's the, the whole issue of... Getting printing presses, you know, I mean, the, the the cost of, you know, where once they were being given away, the, the mm-hmm. prices and type have, have come up, have sort of moved in a different direction. So there, there are sort of money constraints for the young ones coming forward. And that may have, in fact, reflected back as to what 
what happened with Thoreau McDonald. So you were you were collecting his work. What happened? So what made you go from Gill and Cockrell to well? Did you move from them to Thoreau McDonald? Well, I probably are doing it at the same time. Yeah, a lot of them, and I. I mean, I would keep going annually to Ways Goose, and then there was uh, in December of the year at the uh, OCAD uh, would also have. Okay, and equi- is, okay, uh, the Ontario Ontario College of Art and Design, but they would have a, a sort of a late, early winter uh, ways goose mm-hmm. uh, where things were gone. And I would go there and buy. And that's certainly, I, I certainly, re- one of the people I found there, aside from the people I knew from Grimsby, was Pierre Fillon and from... Les Editions du Silence from Montreal and his work. And I got the first pieces of his work there. So I would be going to these and buying without thought that I'm actually collecting these things. My In about 2001, my older son moved to Victoria for work. And we were visiting him there. And I went sort of up the streets to the bookstores, and I ended up at a, I believe the bookstore was Michael Thompson, who had a bookstore there, and I said, would you have in private press things? And he brought out a number of books to show me, and then ultimately, then finally, and I said, do you have anything else? And then he brought out the Heavenly Monkey reissue of Cuthin's Menagerie, and I had seen it on display in the Cabbage Fine Printing Exhibition and always would want a copy, but never saw a copy offered. That was at the Fisher, was it? At, at Fisher, I had seen the exhibition, but it traveled, okay. and there is a catalog of it. And that was in the mid-90s, right? This would have been, well, oh, th- that exhibition traveled, I think, yes, in the 90s. I, okay. I can actually look it up. It's on a, But anyway, having seen this, I said, I'll buy it. And then as I'm going back to our hotel, I realized that I had been buying this, all this Canadian private press for years. But the Kuthans Menagerie is a beautiful woodcuts of beautiful... It's Lanocuts. But the, the, the point is it's stunningly attractive yeah. and, yes. and striking. Lots of things about it. It was, of course, also this book that people knew about, but mm-hmm. then had disappeared. So when was when was it actually printed? It was printed in a by book, Robert Reed, by the way. Yeah, in 1960. Okay. So actually, Reed Reed was sort of the organizer publisher of it. The print, it was a whole, if you read the colophon, and it's a really interesting colophon, it was a, a combination of Robert Reed, Kuthan, George Kuthan, who was a Czechoslovakian. Who came to Vancouver. Came to Vancouver yeah. Couldn't find work in the arts, and I think worked in <laughs> worked in the lumbering and saw, yeah. sawmill, but did these, he had trained in Paris, He, uh, but... He did the text and these gorgeous colored lino cuts. The compositor was Gus Ruder, Will Ruder's father. And then it was actually printed 
by Ib Christensen. Who was a, the, a student of uh, No, Robert's? he was a printer. He okay. was a printer, and ultimately, uh, when Robert moved from Vancouver to McGill, right. he got Christensen to to come with him. So and do the landy uh, and and yeah, and yeah. do the landy, uh, print that by hand. Yeah. Still, this is this is like one of the monuments. Oh yes, this is. There's no question about this. And but it, it but it was also when I said. The, mo the Eureka moment when I said, you know, I've got this core. So this is 2001. This is 20 years of going to Waste Goose and buying books. Without a focus? Without a focus. I would just... Just looking, I like this, I want this. Yes, uh, that's right. Did you travel outside of Canada and get other stuff? or Not really. No. Uh, was so a you were in Canadian any, only anyway. Yeah. So, but I decided that, you know, I needed that I really had the core of a very fine collection, a Canadian private press collection, and yeah. what I should do now is actually focus on building that. Complete the edifice. Well, complete the edifice. I mean, that meant two things. I mean, one is what I had been doing, continue what I've been doing all the time, and that was buying new work as it was done. And I, I think one of the things that I'm sort of really, when I look back at it, sort of happiest about having done is I bought m most of my books from the people who've made them. Yeah. So that's... No you know, middleman. No middleman. I've got good things to say about book dealers, so let me, let me just finish yeah, this sure. thought. Yeah. Um, but it meant that the, the people who were doing the books, by my buying it from them, I'm, I'm affirming to them yeah. that what they're doing is good. Yeah. I'm giving them money so that they can <laughs> they can buy more paper and type. They can continue yeah. doing yeah. doing that. Yeah. You're really supporting the arts. Yeah. Directly. You know, and you know, I'm having I'm you know, when I go to these uh, the the great things about the book fairs, the Ways Gooses, is that the printers are there and you can have conversations with them and you can sort of ask questions but also sort of you can convey directly to them your feelings about what they've been doing what do you ever say negative things i'm too polite one of the one of the good things about my collection is instead of if you collected high spots only you would have a warped view of what people were doing <laughs> so i think my collection is broad enough that you will see you will you will see why will ruder work and Jan and Crispin Elson's work is so great because you will also see in the context that there's people whose work is not as great, whose design ideas are not as good, whose execution is not as good. It puts the, the, the good ones in the context of what everybody is doing. So we're getting back to our earlier point. I'm going to push it a little bit. Because you now identify what's good and what's not so good. So, what's good and what's not so good? You can look at the printing. I mean, there's a printer who would slam the type. Maybe slam isn't the precise word. But as you, as you held the book, 
you could feel the type from the other page <laughs> coming the coming through. Is, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's too strong yeah. an amount of pressure. You will see at times the inking is uneven. It sort of fades a little. Yeah, you will see sort of design ideas that aren't particularly choice of paper at times and... Yeah, that yeah. just doesn't fit with yeah. what the color of the paper doesn't work with the yeah, color of the Yeah, just the or... whole things. I just said it, it puts it puts the really good ones in context, or rather than thinking everybody does this kind of work. I mean, and that's in some sense that's also what the Ways Goose anthology shows you. That's the, a good place a, to start for a collection. Oh yeah, and they're issued annually. I think you may find difficulty getting some of the early ones, but you know, if you wanted some Jim Rimmer, there's some Jim Rimmer. In the early uh, Ways Goose what, what are the early ones? Nineteen. The, the first one is nineteen eighty one. Okay. And they're annually after that. Yeah. Okay. So I think eighty two and eighty three or eighty four also have a junior. Yeah, yeah, and there's a Barbarian Press piece in one of them too. So let's look at what's. Uh, we want, I won't ask you to, to to talk about the bad ones. Talk about the best ones. The best ones. Okay. Okay. Without sort of even ordering them. No. I mean, I think, first of all, the Barbarian Press Pericles is a magnificent tour de force. The Jim Rimmer Tom Sawyer is a fantastic piece, and I think that's... Is that a book? Book, yes. Yeah. The, it, it's Tom Sawyer, so it's a substantial text. He designed the type called Hannibal. He cast the type. He printed the book. The book is illustrated with about, I think, a dozen color linocuts, so multicolored linocuts that are fabulous. He bound the book. The book is a folio size sheet. So it's a, a large sheet. Were and, you able to buy that directly from him or not? Yes. I've actually, I've, I've actually bought three copies. I bought my first copy directly from Jim Rimmer. Because yeah. he the, died. Again. Yes, he died in 2010. Yeah. And then um, I get when uh, John Shoemaker did the small press uh, exhibition at Fisher, yeah. he didn't have any of Jim Rimmer's. And I realized that there wasn't Jim Rimmer's stuff in Toronto. So I contacted Eric Swanick, who I knew, who was the rare book librarian at Simon Fraser, about could he put me in contact with the family? And he did. I've had a long association with the Osborne collection of early children's books. I had actually decided that a copy of Tom Sawyer should be in the Osborne collection. So I told Eric I would like to acquire a copy to give to the Osborne collection. I think the, the family was pleased that Jim's work, that particular piece, was going to be able to be seen in Tor in the Toronto area, and yeah, so in that very important collection. Yeah, and yeah. so they agreed to sell me a copy, which I subsequently gave to the Osborne Collection. 
And then about a year later, I really decided that, well, Fisher ought to have a copy. <laughs> so I, uh, I contacted them again. And I, again, uh, in both cases, I was told them that I'm buying the copy to give to Fisher. So where it was going, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't being a dealer no, uh, no. on this. And I acquired a copy uh, which I gave to the Fisher Library. So the Fisher Library now has a copy of the Tom Sawyer. So I certainly think that it's, when people now go back and look at High Points, that book will relate all of his, you know, any of Jim Rimmer's books. If he didn't do a lot. No, it's a, they're really hard to find. Too. Yeah. He also did a Pauline Johnson yeah. Uh, Shadow River. He actually did, first of all, an edition of about 50 copies with his students. His students did the type thing, and he otherwise circulated. And then he went back and did his own edition where he set the type. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Interesting and, to see the difference. Well, yeah. I, you can look at there because I have both copies. Oh, excellent. <laughs> of course only, you do. The uh, second one was only done in about 50... The, the colophon here says 15 copies. Jim Rimmer also did a book from his own press called Leave, Leaves from the Pie Tree. That's right, uh, that's I, the name of his press, right? Yeah, a pie yeah. tree press, which uh, Andrew Steves at the Gasparo Press republished. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we published with a bibliography of Jim's work. And I think it said in there that there was five copies. So yeah. I, I don't know yeah. what the the source of that, that bit of information, but that's certainly um, it's it is not a facsimile of the original production, but it has it has the good stories yes. <laughs> and okay. is uh, worth sort of hunting up for somebody. What you did then was after you got Kuthan's uh, Menagerie. You made a point of now wanting to sort of fill that collection yeah. out, and did I hear you right when you said you you decided to start to subscribe to a variety of these different presses? I ha well, I had been subscribing to Barbarian for a number of years. I didn't, I did not start getting their books at the beginning. The the first book that I bought from them and sort of ordered and waited for it to arrive was the the collection of wood engravings that they did of all of the North American wood engravings and grain. They, uh, they did a, a kind of a monograph on, on specific... Uh, but that was followed this end grain edition. Uh, and so I got that and then bought a few earlier ones and then Shortly thereafter, I started subscribing. But, I mean, people like Will Ruder don't have a subscription list. Certainly before, number didn't. A few a few now. I mean, I know most of them. And so whenever I see them, they tell me something is in the works. Or I, yeah. I know something is in the works because I've seen them at Ways Goose and talked about what are you working on now. So it sounds like Ways Goose very important annual event and, and something we're oh, yes. while attending. Uh, it's on the last Saturday in April yeah, every yeah. year in, yeah. in at the uh, Public Art Gallery and Library in Grimsby, Ontario. Okay. Uh, so perhaps we could now look at 
some of, we've talked about a number of the presses. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we just run through the the kind of the top presses that you think a collector wanting to get into this field might want to make sure they they're aware of? Well, if you're talking about who's printing now, then you're really looking at alphabetic the barbarian press. Will Ruder, I mean, who started in 1962. That's right. Uh, who's still going strong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so passionate. A great individual. One ought to have uh, some of his work. I'm just sort of looking sure. around, particularly for those who are like wood engravings, and particularly flowers and wood engravings, the work of Jerry Brendera Brandis, who's again started in the late 60s. He's slowing down, but he's still... Doing books, Jason Duinitz at the Green Boathouse Press is very different, very kind of almost austere kind of gorgeous topography. One ought to keep an eye on him. Larry Thompson at the Grey Weathers Press. I actually just heard that he's doing some work with the Carleton University. Yes, I, I understand press. that Carleton University hand is... Press. Hand Press is setting up a studio, and Larry's got a major role in running it, but exactly uh, exactly what they're going to do, I'm not certain. I, okay. I think whether, whether it's going to produce its things or basically be a bibliography press to sort of show students how things are done. George Walker. He's been connected with OCAD for a long time. Well, he right? teaches... I don't know where he finds enough hours of the day. <laughs> George teaches at OCAD. He does his own work. He's the art director at Firefly. (laughs) Does other things. Yeah, Firefly books. So, yeah, I don't know where he finds the hours of the day and these... And the books that he's done, these wordless novels. He did something on Conrad Black. Which yes, that's great. one of my... George has a real sense of humor. So all of the books have a limitation that's related to the subject matter. And so there's 80 copies of the Leonard Cohen biography because it was for Leonard Cohen's 80th birthday. That's wordless as well, is it? Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's 13 copies of the Conrad Black because 13 was the number of boxes is that Conrad was sort of videoed removing from his office. It's that kind of humor. To George's credit, he had approached Conrad about doing this book and he did it with Conrad's blessing. So, so, but he, it says something about Conrad too. Yes, it does. These are original stories that are told solely on wood engravings. There's no text. Mm-hmm. But the stories are original, except to the extent that they're biographies. And so the, the person's life is writ already, except that the emphasis is George's mm-hmm. making. He's got a Hunting of the Snark that he's working on, which will be interesting to see. I've seen, I, I've seen the preliminary sketches and some of the wood engravings for it. And a Mary Pickford book. And Tom Thompson. And well, Tom Thompson's what he's done already, and of course the the book that he did on uh, on 9/11. Uh, trade editions of these books have been done by Tim Inkster at the uh, Porcupine's Quill. In in terms of sizes, not terribly different from the sizes of the original. So somebody, I mean, 
tracking down George's books may not be easy, but tracking down the uh, porcupine squills <laughs> copy, in fact, some of the copies yeah. of them are, are relatively easy. And if somebody wants to get an introduction to George's work, that's a, a and, good and place to saw it. The, print, the printing that Tim does is, a, oh, is exquisite yeah, as well. Yeah, I think so. Tim has, has certainly won a number of design awards uh, through the years. I think he's won the most, the most at the album. Uh, well, I don't think anymore. I think at no, one no, point he, that he was, was the right question. Yes, that's right. <laughs> He maybe someone's called. Well, Andrew Steves may have caught up, or yeah. or who who else? Who but else might have? I don't know. It's interesting to go back and start looking at the yeah. uh, Glenn Gluska had a number of them too. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. lots of yeah, lots but surprises. lots of things. I mean, also a member of the like Stan Bevington, also a member of the Order of Canada. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Elka, his wife, also a member of the Order of Canada. For I mean, because she, she's very much a, a contribute. Yes, yeah. involved in the work. Fine I'm just trying to think of who's really... There's, there's Heavenly Monkey. Okay. Oh, right. We've I'm sorry. Talked, oh, yeah, yes, Heavenly Monkey, Roland Milroy. Yeah. Yes, who's, who's I find really interesting in the sense that you never know what to expect out of Roland. I mean, he, he takes his own twist out of them. His last two books have been leaf books, books with copies of original, earlier printed by others, but with a surrounding text on it. Uh, like like of, Reed's Leaves. Yeah, yeah, like Reed's Leaves. Well, yeah, that was more a biography, a telling of uh, Bob Reed's story. Okay. The other two books have been, one is a book on uh, emblem books, which are 17th century books in which there would be a, a drawing from which readers would draw an, a number of moral and other conclusions. Emblem books, uh, not to be confused with emblem books, which is Jay McPherson's 1950s publishing imprint. The books have sheets from the original books along with the discussion about them. But if, for example, it might be he's got a bunch of leaves from the Gutenberg Bible and he uses those yeah. in each one yeah. of... Uh, leaf books are not a, an idea that Roland had come up with. No, I, mean, no, I don't no. think he would even suggest See, that. The last one that's just issued is with a page from the, uh, uh, the Dove's Bible and a page from uh, a Kelmscott book. Nice. And an article from Alfred Pollard, written about the time, so talking about uh, printing. So those are the last two books, but he's, I mean, he's done a whole range of books on printing, typefaces, paper, which are really quite interesting. But then mm -hmm. he's done a whole number of them that are really off the beaten path. I don't have copies of them. I don't have everything he's done. I know Will Reuter is huge fan. Yes. Don't want to forget Shanty Bay Press. No, Shanty Bay is Walter, certainly Walter Bashinsky and his wife. Yes. And the uh, Pochoir, mm -hmm. this uh, basically 1930s, largely French, I believe, originated. It's interesting because there's that technique for illustrating and they're, they're keeping it alive and sort of, it should be sort of an inspiration. Um, and you compare that with the colored lino box of Jim Rimmer, and you 
got these glorious colored illustrations, unlike the sort of traditional black and white wood engravings that you find in the Barbarian Press books, or you find sometimes in Aliquando Press, because Will does uh, wood engraving, or you find in Jerry Brenda Brandis's work. I mean, it's there's a whole range of one who just wants to look at illustration. One could make a a, a narrow yeah. a, a narrow look, or of course, there's also George Cuthan did Aphrodite's Cup, which is the sole piece of erotica done by a Canadian private press. It's a, I just learned recently that uh, Mel Hertig's press had, did a trade edition. Yes, they did a trade edition. George Cusin did, and again, it's wordless. It's mm. just the, the, these erotic colored lino cuts. Ib Christensen did the printing. I mean, this is all this West Coast. It's interesting. We've got this sort of Toronto-centered group of printers. We've got West Coast printers, and then there's, there's not there, a lot to be. There's between. one in Newfoundland that we I'm not that familiar with. Maybe you ah, are. Oh, this is Tara Bryant's Walking Bird Press. Yeah. And I think she studied in the States, moved to Newfoundland, mm-hmm. and has then lived all her life and does interesting books. The first book that I ever encountered of hers was, in fact, Grossmorn Timelines. I encountered it, it's a long time, but ultimately we were looking at the work of an artist by the name of Anne Meredith Barry, who we knew, who had met in Toronto, who was working in Newfoundland, and who did a book with Tara Bryant. So I didn't come actually to Tara Bryant through the usual ways. Uh, wonderful work, uh, a recent work on the Great Wall. Great Wall of China? Yes. And she's also done a, a, a printing of a text uh, by Crispin Elstead on Mark Roscoe. It's actually poetry. It's not a... Yeah, it's, 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 Crispin is a poet. Yes, there's that. There's, there's a small group called Running the Goats. That may not be the precise name. that are doing things, but I don't see much of it here. Mm-hmm. I did encounter it when I was in Newfoundland for a conference and sort of went looking around and and found it. There's that. The Dawson Printing uh, Room at, I think it was Dalhousie, did some printing in the 70s, but there's not much. And then we go to, well, Gasparo, not private press, but, you know, in Kentville, Nova Scotia. Well, there's, there's three, really. There's the Coach House Press in the 60s, 70s. There's till today. Yes, <laughs> no, but I'm talking about interesting printing. Oh yeah. There's Tim Inkster and there's uh, Andrew Steves. These are kind of not uniquely Canadian, but there's something about them that they straddle the, the they're, edge. Don't they're they? small press printers with high production values, higher than a lot of the trade publications. There's sort of the values of those printers, publishers that are really involved. I mean, mm-hmm. Gaspro's basically, what is it, a two-man operation. It's, it's small, hands-on. But, you know, there's Rabbit Town Press, which is a recent starter, which I've seen one book from out of Newfoundland. You then go to Montreal, and Montreal has this very, very different, much more European. Well, 
you know, everybody else in Canada follows almost the English and American private press tradition. You get out of Montreal people like Edition Erta, or mm-hmm. currently working is Pierre Filion, Les Editions du Silence, and it it doesn't look like anything else done in the rest of Canada, but it's fantastic work. His printing presses are in the space where David Carruthers and Denise Lapointe make paper. That's a Saint-Amon paper. They provide all sorts of fine presses with their papers throughout North America, throughout the world. Yes. Beautiful paper. Beautiful paper. Um, and for people who actually really want to handle it, most of the covers for Andrew Steve's Gaspero Press books have St. Armand paper yeah. that he's hand-printed. And you can People, get those books for 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Yeah. Somebody wants to just touch and feel. And that's, I mean, that's part of, you know, the enjoyment of these private press books, particularly the ones with the high production value. It is looking, feeling this paper, mm-hmm. looking yeah. at this type, looking at these illustrations because the, the illustrations are originals. This is not a question of photomechanical reproduction mm-hmm. of this artwork. You know, when uh, Walter Brzezinski does a pochoir, it's directly on the paper that turns out in the book that's in your hands. And the same with all of the other Artistic works, prints. Yeah, they're, they're prints in a book. Yeah, they're yeah. not. They're not reproductions. Yeah, where well, they are reproductions, but each imprint is unique. Is that what you're saying? Because no. they'll make the number of I'm make the number I'm, of imprints that are that are in that run of a hundred. Or I'm making a, a different distinction. Okay, and that is what printers and artists would call a print. Yeah. and a reproduction. So a print where you're taking it from the, use a wood engraving, mm-hmm. printing it from the individual block. Yeah. Each print is an original. Exactly. It is touching, not, a, it's, it is, touching yeah. Touching a different piece of paper. Yes. And they would say, no, that is not a reproduction. That's no. an original print. It may be done in multiples. Yeah, okay. And may be done in a hundred. And when you photograph yeah. that yeah. paper, and then sort of reproduce that photograph, right. that's a reproduction. That's what you're, yep, yep. that's the distinction that it's you want to keep. It's versus... Yeah, yeah. lithograph, yeah. lithography. Just uh, winding down, we don't want to miss anyone here, mm-hmm. or if we have, we'll apologize right now. Uh, well, I suspect we've missed two. <laughs> missed, because I think I read somewhere that in your collection there's about 140 presses. I think I did a count because yeah. I think it is over 200. I, I use a spreadsheet to track because otherwise I can't keep track of what I've already bought. You don't carry that around in your head. I can't. No, so, no, no. But what do you do when you go to a fair? You've got a. Yeah, I will either put it on to so I can pull it off of my phone, or I'll put it on to my tablet. I mean, I know the major stuff, but yeah. there are things that I forget. Yeah. Um, so I did a rough count of 200, but that's books. And that doesn't go into something like the Ways Guth Anthology, where there are maybe 
presses there that I don't have an individual item in the other database. So I, you know, the numbers are probably quite large. Well, let's let's look at uh, just quickly then. Uh, some uh, we start off with. Uh, you mentioned the golden dog. Yes, golden dog. Yes. Uh, we don't have to talk about these, but let's. This golden dog that was in the thirties. The thirties. Then there's Charles Bradbury, who did the one book in Vancouver, "All Creatures Great and Small," nineteen thirty. Okay. okay. There's Robert Reed that comes in late forties. Yes, nineteen forty nine, and that's. Yeah. I mean, other than for the Charles Bradbury book, the Fraser Mines Vindicated is the first real substantial book, much more substantial than the Golden Dog yes. press books, which is the other sort of, is the, which is the first Canadian private yeah, press book. You usually hear Robert Reed because it's, a, you say, it's a substantial book. The Golden Dog, they're more like pamphlets that have got a, a well, cover put on them. I think actually, if you were in the West Coast, people would immediately say Robert Reed. Yes, yes. I think around Toronto, I think till recent years, people would have said Golden Dog. <laughs> sure, okay. I think people, that, I mean, Canada it's just all the facts were clearly okay. out uh, in front of people. But yes. Okay. I, uh, we'll leave that up to uh, <laughs> To debate, yes. You know, there's, politics, dread, there's Dreadnought. Galuska, right? No. Oh, I'm thinking of Dromedary. Yes, in Premier Dromedary is Glenn's private press, and then he did work for other presses under the Nightshade Press, and that was because uh, Will Reuter said that morally (laughs) you should not be using your private press for doing things for money. So uh, Glenn came up with the uh, Nightshade Press. Dreadnought, they were friends. Glenn knew Robert MacDonald. Uh, Deborah Barnett, who's now the printer at St. Michael's College, they now have an in-printing house. Uh, In the University of Calgary catalog, it lists under Dreadnought, Glenn as being part of Dreadnought. And I always wondered... I think that's why I thought that. Yeah, well, actually, I finally found the answer. I was looking at Glenn's archives in Montreal uh, a couple of weeks ago. Where where are those? They're with his widow. And I came across an article written by uh, Greg Gatenby about Dreadnought. And there's a picture of Glenn with the other Dreadnought people. Greg Gatenby is listing Glenn as being a member of Dreadnought. I I, I think the error stems from that article. Because I've certainly, the people I've spoken to at Dreadnought... Uh, and I certainly, in looking at Glenn's things, have not found anything that was issued under Dreadnought's name that had Glenn's involvement in it. Glenn lived, when he came to Toronto, at 46 Harbour Street, which yeah. is three houses west of, Har- uh, of Huron. Will Reuter was on Markham Street, two blocks west and a bit down. Mm. You went up Huron Street a long block past what's the Robarts Library, and that's Sussex Street, where Dreadnought was. And you go a little bit farther up that block, and you come to Coach House Press and Stan Bevington, 
And yeah. so everybody, everybody was in physical. Zero. That's ground zero. That's for, uh, ground zero. <laughs> and around, right at the corner of Spadina and Harvard Street yeah. was Alphabet Books, Richard Shu who supplied them with books and sort of <laughs> did things. You know, I, I started to make a point a little while ago about sort of I bought everything from the, from the people. You know, the book dealers, certainly in going back and filling in the work that I did, have been remarkable. And they are sort of important parts of this. And then there are people like Hugh Anson Cartwright. Hugh bought things as were issued by Glenn and by Will, basically to support them. So he was, he was a book dealer, but he was actively supporting these printers. And so... These and we should, should be- thank him as much as, uh, as anyone for keeping them alive. Yeah. And and of course, ultimately, those the books that he bought. I think he. I don't think he sold them immediately, but ultimately, they, yeah. you know, they became. But you know, at a critical point in time when people sort of needed money. Yep. Yep. Uh, Hugh was there. I think. Know. I think Don Stewart, in McLeod's books in Vancouver, may have done the same thing with well, then the printers. Trusty the old uh, Bill Hoffer. Yes, Chris L. Bill Hoffer, who uh, Glenn had. Uh, an association with. He was a bookseller as well. He was a bookseller, and there's all kinds of stories about Bill Hoffer as a bookseller, as a cantankerous, opinionated, uh, particularly on Canadian literature. Glenn did a a pamphlet, Mm -hmm. pamphlet or broadside, the the topography of typography, a Lisitsky broadside, that's part of the tank subscription series. One of the things about that is, and I, looking through Glenn's archives, I finally put it together because it says printed in 1983. And I thought, well, no, 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 but it comes out in 87 and it's not like the one that Glenn issued under Imprimery Dramadaire is a single sheet, a folded. And this is two separate sheets in a folder. Well, out of his archives, I determined that he actually printed 75 on the single sheet and then 200 on the the double sheets. And you you can see where he actually had to move the A, which was on the fold, slightly (laughs) (laughs) slightly to the end. So he did that at the same time in 83. For what purpose, I don't know. And then, in about 87, when Tanks is issued, he prints the folder that goes to Hoffer. (laughs) So, it it took a while to finally sort of... And there's actually another piece that he did that's in that Tanks, uh, Countess Wilposka. So, Tanks was uh, was a magazine, I thought it was. Tanks, well... The subscription series, there are a series of books uh, of various kinds. I'm just trying to remember the names of the other authors. Yeah. Okay. But he also, for Hoffer, Ten Poems by Norm Seibel. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what's, if you look at the error note in that, so (laughs) that's... The humor in the errata slip is pure Glenn, pure, for the benefit of people who don't have a copy in front of them, the order of the poems 
and the order of the table uh, of the poems in the table yeah. of contents yeah. differ. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the of slip in, in Glenn's tongue-in-cheek way explains <laughs> the printer's reaction to having come across <laughs> this error. Uh, who have we not touched on? There's Gauntlet Press. Yes. And uh, Richard. Uh, Richard Outram uh, and Barbara Howard. Gorgeous stuff. Really the most interesting private press because nothing was sold. You, were these they, all gifts, were they? They were gifts to their friends, even the books. Okay. They, ultimately, I, if there was a couple left over, I think uh, Hugh Anson Cartwright had them for sale, but only afterwards and they would issue at christmas valentine's day maybe another time of the year new year's and they turned up in the mail that's why they probably will be the most difficult of anybody to find because the people they went to were personal friends they're the last they didn't didn't want to get rid of them they're the last things that you know if you're (laughs) when you're house cleaning and, and downsizing and getting rid of things these items with this personal connection are probably the last things that people will part with. And of course, their broadsides on very delicate Japanese paper, they're fragile. What's in, if somebody wants to see the, what they look like, Memorial University has a website on Gauntlet Press. So if you... Uh, go there, you could at least see electronic versions of it. But again, it's nothing like looking at them in, right the, flesh. in, yeah. in the flesh. Yes, yeah. and and their books. They only did four books yeah. in the 70s. And those yeah. things are first editions of Richard's poetry. Those, Which again were uh, in trade editions. I know Tim Inkster did. Yes, uh, Tim so, Inkster yeah. did them. And well, there's uh, there's an Alan Fleming one on the Tortoise Press, eight poems. Uh, Alan Fleming was their best man at their wedding. And he had his own private press. Yes. Well, he didn't do much in his Not own much, private press, no. but that was one of the yeah. things. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and Macmillan, and I think there's an English publisher did one, and then Hugh Anson Cartwright published one, and then Tim Inkster did a number of them. Richard's, you know, been long uh, considered one of the underrated poets in this country. And uh, people like uh, Alberto Mangel has, you know, and others have spoken incredibly uh, about his poetry. There's an interesting book uh, by Gaspero, Peter Sanger, was the author on the poetry of Richard Outram. Sanger was a friend of but it also has reproductions of many of the broadsides in color. That's good to know. You know, uh, very fragile uh, Japanese paper dust jacket, very susceptible to fading in the light. But um, <laughs> but yes, I don't know what the number they did is, but is that certainly... Gaspero. Gaspero yeah, did, yeah. 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 It's certainly an interesting piece to, to see. So. And own. Yeah, no, yeah. Even more interesting. Yeah. Well, I think the unless there's something else that's that that's a kind mm. of gaping hole. No. That we oh, might... you could talk about and one of the other things to really it is to looking at sort of bindings. 
uh, the Roger Ascham Press and the, I mean, the meticulous printing by George McDonough, no illustrations, gorgeous paper, and a number of the copies would have been bound in a batik. And the batiks are unique to the copy. They were done by Muriel McDonough, his wife. That's the Roger... Roger Ascham Press. Ascham Press, yes. yeah. Uh, and there's also the Heinrich... Uh, Heinrich Heine Press, Peter Dorn, who yeah. was the designer. I mean, he originally came to Canada after the war. He was instrumental in, in founding the John Robert Colombo and another of others, the... Uh, wrong font and keeping it alive. Yeah, um, he, which is again a series of uh, what eight or nine years they did. Yeah, the guild, this, the hand. guild of hand. It was just sort of the envelope upon which a group of yeah. individual printers came together, and that's how they circulated. In some sense, it's like the Ways Guth anthology, yes, except yes. except for, and none of them are bound well, except, except for the one. Right. The one on uh, Carl Dare. And, kind and, of a commemoration you know, of his life yeah. because he died suddenly, yeah. right? Finding, I mean, that's sort of important part of sort of early private press printing. And then, of mm -hmm. course, In Peter, the 60s, yeah. yeah, and Peter Dorn did a number. I mean, the legends that he did with Abbaevsky's work, those are, are, are fabulous. But books that wouldn't be done today. And wouldn't be done today because Bayevsky's uh, color block prints are using uh, Aboriginal themes. Mm -hmm. And so it would get into this whole issue of whether, you know, Bayevsky has appropriation, over, appropriation has, yeah. has overstepped the line. Yeah. Although when it was done in the 60s, it was done with the best of intentions and the best of supporting yes, these exactly. people. It wasn't or bringing it, attention. Yeah, 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 I mean, and so, but that's uh, the the nature of of, of that work. Um, we could uh, we could go on forever, but we can't. But we can't. <laughs> so uh, you should come back some other time. We can. We can. Uh, what we can do is uh, circle our our. Uh, mm wagons or, or whatever the term uh, might be see what we've covered see what we haven't covered and yeah revisit this but uh, but for now i'd like to thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and enthusiasm it's been a great conversation oh, it's been a great pleasure having this conversation with you nigel uh, you have been speaking with chester grisky who is a collector a renowned collector of Canadian private press and fine printing, and who has curated exhibitions of the work of Robert R. Reed and Glenn Galuska, two of Canada's most distinguished designers and fine printers. What are you working on now? What am I working on now? Well, I'm working on, with others, a Canadian topography website that Rod McDonald, the noted type designer, is spearheading. Uh, the idea is that it would go live, I think, next year in 2020. And I'm working on one segment, the Canadian Private Press segment, along with Crispin Elstead and Jason Duinitz. So that's a major thing. I've got a couple of 
other writing projects that need to be farther along than they are. We see those in The Devil's Artisan. Yes, in The Devil's Artisan, Amphora. There's an article coming out in Amphora. Which is the Alcuin Society. Society Journal yeah. on sort of doing the Galuska exhibition and the history mm. of that. We look forward to that then. Thanks very much for your time. You're welcome.